you got a Bible with you or you got one at home, you can grab that tablet, phone, whatever, turn to the book of Jonah. <clears throat> now what we find out right away in the book of Jonah is that Jonah is the son of Amittai. And the interesting thing about the first two verses of Jonah is that he isn't even referenced right there as a prophet, even though we put him in with the minor prophets. We only find that out if we read other parts of Scripture. If we go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 25, that's where it actually says the Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. So that's where we know he's a prophet. And Jonah arrives on the scene a little bit after Elijah and Elisha, who were prophets as well. To give you a refresher, Elisha was the prophet from the sermon two weeks ago uh, when this general, this man named Naaman, who was very important, who had leprosy, um, went then to uh, first the king of Israel, but then to the prophet Elisha, who uh, then directed Naaman to wash in the river Jordan, that dirty, silty uh, river, to become cleansed of that skin disease. Now, the thing about the story of Jonah is that it is so multi-layered. I could probably preach on this for multiple weeks. You know, perhaps some of you remember the Ephesians series that went on for 16, 17, 18 weeks or something like that, right? We could do that because there's a lot of deep, rich things which we could, could focus on. In children's Bibles, like what we just read today, largely it focuses on Jonah running from God, not listening and, and, and desiring to show that grace and that mercy to, to those people in Nineveh, uh, and that he was you know, swallowed by a fish, which you know, I'm sure kids love thinking about some human being swallowed by fish. And then he spat up and he goes to Nineveh and all the people are saved. But I think there's actually just a little bit more to that story than just those few little elements. And the thing that I think I love the most about this story is that Jonah is shown to be human. He is shown to be a real person that perhaps has frustrations, that wants to say no, like the story just said that uh, uh, Steve just read. Uh, someone who has some struggles, and even someone who perhaps has a little bit of anger in their life. Jonah is shown as a human who is stubborn and he wants to have his own way. Yeah, he's human. So let's hear, uh, as we begin, uh, we're going to start in Jonah 1, uh, just the first two verses here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go, against, or go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And then we'll read the first couple of verses that are next, or first couple of words that are next. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. May make us wonder why. 
Jonah was a prophet. He could hear from the Lord. And yet, why, when he heard something from the Lord, did he not want to follow through with what the Lord was telling him? Why doesn't he want to go to Nineveh? Was he afraid of the Assyrian people? You know, the Assyrian Empire was almost at its peak about at this time, and, and it was large, and it was growing, and it was expansive. Uh, but also during this time, even though it was such a big and large nation, they were experiencing some struggles, some, some difficulties, some famines. There was uprisings that were happening. There were earthquakes. So perhaps Jonah was thinking, well, I don't know if those people really deserve to be saved. Maybe they're getting what they deserve. Maybe this destruction, this famine, this earthquake, these uprisings are actually something that the Lord is bringing upon them. Hmm. Yeah, why, why wouldn't He want to preach to them? Why wouldn't he want to preach to the superpower of the day? Maybe he just wanted them to get, get what they deserved. But I don't, I don't know if, if that is really the case. Maybe he, he runs instead because he doesn't want to see the, the blessings that God had, had said were for Israel to be given to evil people, perhaps people that were living in ways that were contrary to God's call. Or maybe Jonah is running out of shame. At roughly the same time that Jonah would be preaching this message to the Ninevites, there were two other prophets preaching a message to Israel. Amos and Hosea. Perhaps you've, you've seen those books in your Bible or read them. But they were preaching to the Israelites in Israel uh, to say, turn from your wicked ways that the Lord wouldn't destroy you. Maybe Jonah leaves for shame because what happens if his own people reject the teaching that God has for them? But, but what if the Ninevites accept it? What would that be? And we know from reading perhaps on through Scripture that it's actually the Assyrians who will overthrow Israel. Probably just a few short years later than when the message would be preached to them. But no matter what goes through his mind, whether it's anger, frustration, shame, he runs. He, he goes in the exact pretty much opposite way of Nineveh. Nineveh was about 550 miles north, northeast of Joppa where he was, and instead he started going about, well, he didn't get very far, but he wanted to go 2,500 miles to the west. If you think about where we live right now, it would be like God calling you to go to Ottawa. Granted, Ottawa is maybe a little further than 550 miles from here. And you choose to go to Vancouver out in British Columbia. That's for the Canadians, right? Uh, if, 
if you are not familiar with Canadian geography in relationship to uh, where we are right now, it'd be like, okay, yeah, maybe you travel to Pittsburgh. That's not quite far enough. And then you go to any city on the West Coast. And technically, that's not even far enough yet. You have to go probably another 300 miles into the Pacific Ocean if you get 2,500 miles away. Going in the complete opposite direction, going five times further to get away from where he was actually supposed to be. It would seem that he would almost rather die than, than follow through on what, what God desired him to do. And as he's taking part of this, uh, what the Jesus Storybook Bible calls, not-so-good plan, he gets on this boat with sailors and they begin heading for Tarshish. But a storm brews. And, and, and the, even the sailors who live their entire life on boats are beginning to be afraid. They're used to it, and yet they are afraid. And, and as, as they experience the storm, it is almost as if the quote-unquote pagans of the day, the sailors who were worshiping other gods, are being more religious than Jonah himself. Jonah's sleeping and the sailors are experiencing the storm. And they start throwing things overboard. Oftentimes when we read that story and we hear it, and it was almost said that way in the Jesus Storybook Bible, we think almost about like people bailing water and like, this thing lighter and throw everything out and kind of being in a panic and a frenzy. And that, I don't think, is quite the case. Because the sailors would have had a God of the sea. And to them, taking things of their own possession and throwing them into the sea would be like giving an offering to their God. So they begin giving offerings to their God, throwing a variety of perhaps valuable things into the sea, hoping that their God would change His mind perhaps, would change the tune of the events that were taking place, that the storm would subside if they had given something of themselves to the God of the sea. It was a way they were hoping to honor their God. The captain goes and wakes up Jonah and says, how can you sleep at a time like this? Pray to your God. And they continue to pray to their own gods. And, and, and they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah as the one who is the problem. And he says, toss me overboard. Even knowing that information, the sailors try to do everything they can to, to, to keep them safe. They start trying to row the boat to shore and it just wasn't working. And then so finally, they decided to toss Jonah overboard. I find it interesting that Jonah knew he was the problem, but he wasn't willing to jump out himself. He knew he was the problem. He knew he was the cause of the storm, and yet he didn't have... Enough chutzpah, I don't know, enough, enough 
something to jump off the boat himself, and instead he asked the sailors to throw him overboard. He doesn't want to follow God. And so he's kind of forced into it. And then the next part of the story we know fairly perhaps well. He's, he hits the water, the storm subsides, and then a big fish comes and swallows him up. We fast forward, he, he repents of how he had decided not to follow God. He spit up on a shore, and, and so he decides to go then to Nineveh. And so let's look at Jonah 3, verses 3 and 4. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now the second time, he finally obeys. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. You know, Jesus' storybook Bible says he went through all Nineveh to preach the word that the God, God had given him. But I don't know if that's the case. If it takes three days to walk through the entire city and Jonah only went a day's journey into the city, it would seem that he still isn't quite following through the way God had intended. And the message that he preached wasn't necessarily what we would call evangelistic. It was 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Kind of like a statement of doom. Nothing about if you believe in God and repent of your ways, you will be saved. If that happens to be the whole message of only talking about Nineveh being overthrown, it appears the Holy Spirit did some amazing work throughout the entire city of Nineveh, even though Jonah only preached a message of destruction to a third of it. By the work of the Spirit, perhaps, all of Nineveh repents, covers their bodies with ashes, and, and they wear sackcloth. And God then, in response to what work uh, He did in the Ninevites' life, relents His anger and does not destroy Nineveh. And I think it's after that happens that we really find out what perhaps Jonah was really afraid of. We find out why he really didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. And it's in chapter 4. But, Jonah, but to Jonah this, meaning God giving grace, to the Ninevites, seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord 
Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that You were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. We find out the real reason Jonah didn't want to go. Find out the, the real reason that he, he fled in the other direction when God first asked him to go to Nineveh. It wasn't because he was afraid of the people. He wasn't because they were a big superpower of the day. It wasn't because he was uh, perhaps angry at them for how evil they are. It wasn't because of some type of shame at what if they listen and the Israelites don't. Instead, Jonah didn't want to go because he knew God would have mercy on his enemies. This prophet learned that God has mercy on whom He has mercy. And I think the reason we come back to this story time after time after time again is because it's a message that we ourselves need to remember generation after generation after generation. We appreciate and we like receiving grace. We like it because we know that, that oftentimes it's, it's something that we don't deserve and we recognize that when we, when we think about how God is gracious and merciful to each and every one of us. But I think what this story tells us is the reality of grace. Sometimes it can be harder for us to give grace to the people who need it at the time that they need it. When someone doesn't respond quite the way that we had hoped when we feel that someone has wronged us, when we feel that someone has ignored us, when we feel that someone has spoken unkindly towards us, so instead we do the same to them. Frustration in those situations can oftentimes be the initial response rather than grace. And it's almost like with Jonah. If the Lord has told us to be gracious and compassionate to people, and when we're faced with those moments that we need to be gracious and compassionate with this individual, if we don't, it's like we're running in the opposite direction towards Tarshish, away from what God has called us to do. To where our mind can be like Jonah's. Jonah just wanted to see the destruction of, of that city. He wanted to see their demise instead of their repentance. Hmm. He perhaps 
wanted to ignore giving the message and pull up an easy chair and wait for God's fire to, to rain down on this evil city. Sometimes perhaps at a deep core selfish level, that is what we desire in our hearts for people who perhaps have wronged us. And then when we, we look at the story of Jonah, it's almost as if Jonah thought God was too soft. That Jonah thought that God was too gracious and too merciful to let the people of Nineveh, the people who were living contrary to His will, the people who were, were evil, the people who would go on later to destroy Israel and displace them, to let them live. Truth is, God loves even the people that we have a tough time loving. You can find a similar story, I think, in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15, another fairly familiar story. We call it the prodigal son. There's this son who desires to take half of his father's wealth. It's what's uh, what would be given to him if his father had passed away. And really, the son asking for that was like saying, Dad, I'd really want you dead. Just give me your money. And so the son takes all of this wealth and he wastes it on living in ways that the father wouldn't approve of, that perhaps God wouldn't appreciate. And, and after he wastes everything and he has nothing, and he's in some pig pens wishing he was eating the food, he comes back to the Father, intent on groveling, but instead of the Son coming and groveling, the Father comes out, reaches out, runs actually, in fact, towards His Son, puts a ring on Him, welcomes Him back, instead of treating Him like a servant. He welcomes Him back and throws Him a party. All the while, there's the older brother that's more like the Jonah-type figure. All the while, he's been thinking he's better than his brother because he didn't ask for the money. He didn't wish death upon his father. He's been following the ways his father perhaps wanted him to live. Perhaps thinking how much more he deserves the father's things than what his younger brother does. And so there he is, sulking on the outside, not willing to go in to the party. Instead, perhaps the brother was hoping to see the destruction of his brother. Hoping to see him serve as a servant instead of a party throne as a member of the family. Oftentimes when we place ourselves in the story, a lot of times we think about the younger son who turns away and we say, you know, we turn away from the Lord, but we come back to Him. But there's another person in the story that could be us. Could be that Jonah-type figure, that brother, sitting on the outside, not sure if that other individual deserves the grace that the Father is giving. Just like Jonah, who thinks God or the Father is just being a little too soft. 
I think that's where we have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful when we think that we can control or alter or judge or determine who God is able to have grace upon and whose people or what people are outside of God's grace. I think it's dangerous because in reality, we all have to remember that none of us deserve any of His grace. The basis of our faith is that we come to God with absolutely nothing. We all come with the same playing field, the same equal ground before the Lord. In Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through redemption that came by Jesus Christ. can be a hard lesson to learn for us, but it's also a hard lesson to learn for Jonah, and he didn't get it right away. So God taught him by using a plant. After these verses uh, from uh, Jonah chapter 4, Jonah sits watching the city, kind of sulking, waiting to see the destruction come, hoping that it would happen. And it doesn't. He, He stews there, stewing in his anger. And even then, God still has mercy upon Jonah by building or growing this plant that will shade him from the hot sun that was scorching him. But a day later, God destroys that plant with a worm. And and we see that Jonah himself becomes angry and he pities this plant. And God says, why? Why are you pitying this plant? This something that you didn't even create. You didn't even toil over. I did. So you see how much love you have for this plant that you didn't toil over. Think about how much love I have for the people that I created in my image. The people that I handcrafted individually one by one before they were born. How deep is it then, that love that God has for those 120,000 people in Nineveh? People created in His image. How much love then does God have for the 52,000 people right here in Kentwood? Or the one million people that are in the greater Grand Rapids metro area? How much love does God have for the 580 million people in North America? He feels the same way. He's got a deep and abiding, consistent, never giving love for these people. For all the 7.5 billion people in the world, God has that never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And if He has that love for those 7.5 billion people, He has that love for you as an individual. He feels that way about you. 
He loves you because you've been crafted in His image. He loves you. And He desires you to be one of His children just as He desired all of the people in Nineveh to repent and turn from their ways and follow Him. We've been created by God. We've been loved by God. And we've been forgiven by God. And that message extends all the way into the New Testament in Luke chapter 6 where God calls us to follow that way, to be merciful just as our Father is merciful. In other places in Luke, in Luke chapter 17, where, where Jesus was asked, well, how many times should, should someone forgive someone? And He says, continue to forgive. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back saying, I repent, you must forgive them. We see through Jesus' actions time and time again that He, he goes and he, and he offers grace and mercy and healing to people who were often on the outside looking in, who the Pharisees would call sinners and people not to associate with. Jesus would too extend to them His grace. And the beauty of that grace and the beauty of that mercy is that it's for everybody. The people that perhaps we would call sinners and outcasts, that we would see just the way Jonah saw the Assyrians. God loves them, God wants them to turn towards Him, change their ways, and live for Him. And they too will be called a child of God. Because if anyone turns to God, including ourselves, God says, welcome home. Welcome home, child. I love you. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank You for your grace in our life. That when we, we turn from you and, and turn towards selfishness, that you still accept us back with open arms. That you are a God who's not like us. That you give your grace aboundingly that You love extensively. So we pray by Your Spirit that You would cause us to live lives that would offer that same grace to others that we desire and receive for ourselves. Cause Your Spirit to work in us that the anger and the frustration in the mindset that Jonah has, it's not something that enters in our mind. But instead, that we would have the mind of Christ to give Your love, to give Your grace, and to help people glorify and honor You in the way that they live. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.